We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Biggest takeaways from Stealing Signals and the Zero RB Watch. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yardsburg-Gretsch. Find my Substack, bengretsch.substack.com. That's where I write the Stealing Signals column. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. That's where he writes the Zero RB Watch column. And on Wednesday, we're going to talk through the things that we found in our research. We do our Sunday night show. It's kind of our rapid reaction. We do our Wednesday after we've been in the lab for 48 hours and, and not left the lab. Um, not seen any daylight. Uh, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It, it's fun to get out of the lab, as you say, and, and chat with you. Sunday night has been a blast for me. And it's been, in some ways, a long time coming to Wednesday morning. But uh, so many big takeaways from week two. It was another big week. Ben, our teams, we talked a little bit on Sunday night about this idea that we want to structure our teams so that we can win even when we're wrong. We've been right on some important things. We've been wrong on some important things. Our teams, we talked a little bit about how we got draft slots that weren't quite as favorable. Now, I know that this is sort of rubbing salt in the wound, but the team that Blair Andrews and I got when we were kind of alternating in, and I did a draft without you there, we got the 101 obviously have Christian McCaffrey. We are in first place because it is difficult not to be in first place when you have Christian McCaffrey. Our <laughs> team is from the back end. And then considering where we drafted from and the fact that we have some guys like a Joe Burrow, like a Saquon Barkley, where we're really pointed toward the second half of the season, if the playoffs started today, I would believe we would be in on three out of four. That's, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's not bad at all. I mean, we, we did get a lot of things wrong. I've seen, I don't know if we if I did this little conversation Sunday. I'm, I'm going to wind up repeating things Wednesday. <laughs> we talked about Sunday because it does feel like it's been weeks ago. But I've seen a lot of conversation about the, the craziness of the injuries and how much, you know, how much has happened in these first two weeks, basically, right? How much we were wrong about, like you said. And, and a lot of those responses seem to be like, who knew this was going to be like this? And, and, that is something that I kind of want to point out is like, that's what we were trying to talk about all off season. It's important to kind of remember that when you get into the season for next year, because the whole point is building a draft strategy around the idea 
that this much chaos will and usually does hit in the first couple of weeks. Now, there maybe have been more injuries than usual this year. There, there certainly feels like it. But at the same time, there's always chaos. It's what we talk about when we talk about chaos. So the point is, we have lost some receivers that we love. Uh, you know, I've referenced Michael Gallup and Jerry Judy, two guys that I had a lot of exposure to both out. Will Fuller hasn't played yet, have a ton of exposure to him. We have certainly lost a lot of running backs, or a lot of running backs have lost the shine off, you know, what, what people were hoping for in the offseason. That was always sort of the point is that the ones that do make it through are, are going to be more stable at the wide receiver position. The, the higher round draft picks that are actually performing at a really, really high level, you know, that aren't injured and all those things. If you take all those those parts of, of the of the equation out, it is pretty clear that if, if you did what we were basically saying and built a lot of wide receiver depth as the real key, whether that meant going full zero RB or taking an anchor running back, if you got an elite tight end, Sean, like you're always emphasizing is the most crucial thing you can do in every format. And we were very high on Hawkinson. Kittle hasn't been there yet, but obviously Waller and Kelsey have been massive. If you got one of those four, I think you're in great shape. And, and those rosters, even if they haven't been perfect, they still have enough startable wide receivers. Even with even the ones where I have Judy and Gallup on the same team and they're both out, I still have four good receivers I feel comfortable starting. I still have a good tight end, usually a pretty solid quarterback. If I've done all of those things correctly, the fact that I don't have any running back production is not really hurting my roster. It's not hurting our roster, Sean, that, that we're doing together, obviously. And it looks better right now than any of the other teams that are built separately where you, you're not actually getting the running back production that you thought you were getting with high high picks. I, you know, I, we, we did that on one of our draft streams and I've done that in some other leagues. Those rosters suck right now. The running backs aren't what, you know, they aren't what you wanted them to be outside of like the DeAndre Swifts and some of the guys that we did think were, were worth being outside of structure. I mean, I'm making this sound like we were right about everything. Obviously we weren't, but uh, I, I do think the the way that we approached a draft through two weeks has been very strongly validated right now. I mean, the, the, the rosters, I don't feel like I'm sacrificing much at running back with my teams that have Devin Singletary and have Tony Pollard, and I have these guys everywhere. A.J. Dillon hasn't been what I wanted him to be yet, but that's why you grabbed a lot of these types of backs. And I don't feel like I'm sacrificing a lot against people who were very heavy on running back early. And I, I have the overwhelming advantage right now with wide receiver and tight end. We talked about this. Uh, another way we talked about this in the offseason was you pointed out when you do these in-season drafts, running backs don't go high. And I'm getting questions. Who would you take number two overall right now? Is it the running backs? Is it the tight ends? We talked about this after week one. Everyone right now is off the board with the running backs. If you do a, an in-season draft right now, everyone would want to take the receivers. And that's been the whole point. Right. So remember that for next year. That's <laughs> sort of my my message. Yeah, and I think it's it's really easy to watch the games on Sunday and we all kind of fall into this trap and think, okay, well, there's someone I was on board with and they're not putting up numbers. There's someone I was on board with and they're injured. Will Fuller, is he gonna ever play? Does he play NFL games? And and feel like things are really going wrong in a hurry. And then you think about all of the players that you drafted and what your team looks like. And you're like, oh, well, I'm still, I'm still fine through wide receiver one and two. I'm still very good at two flex spots. I actually have, you know, breakout running backs coming through, like you mentioned, and then the tight end. So when I look at my rosters, then the only team that I think we're actually doing poorly on, and I didn't include it in the earlier three out of four, is the ship chasing team we drafted. And I believe that was one where we, again, had a, an unfortunate draft slot. I think we were intending to take TJ Hawkinson in the third round, and he went ahead of ADP, and that's really killed us. Because that team looks great right now. It has Kyler Murray, which 
And that's an expensive move to make, but right now paying off very, very well. I mean, he looks like he could challenge all-time records in terms of, of QB scoring. It's it, We took some running backs early, but then we took a ton of wide receivers. Our receivers look great. We're going to score a ton of points at that position. We have Mike Gesicki, and my Gesicki teams are really the only ones that I'm worried about. Now, he had a little bit of a bounce back in week two. We think that that team is going to come around a little bit, uh, depending on Tua's health, depending on if Fuller really opens things up. I, I know that the Dolphins were, were betting on him being a big part with Waddle to make this offense more of a threat to opposing defenses, where defenses had to cover more, they had to cover more vertically. You open things up for Gasicki, who basically is a big wide receiver. I think that Fuller's return actually helps those guys as opposed to siphoning off targets. I think that overall offense will just be much more efficient. You go in and you look, uh, you can check out the, the Rotoviz Advanced Stat Explorer. You can see air yards converted through two weeks to a, you know, right down there at the bottom, only ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Another team is having some issues making some of those pass plays work. I think that they'll come back. I think that Gasicki is still going to be better than a lot of these other guys. But Ben, you notice the top tight ends were scoring. The rest of the tight end position is a barren wasteland. And that's the whole point with the elite tight ends. We said that if they stay healthy, they're going to provide you a positional advantage. Kittle hasn't yet. I think he's going to be fine. One of the stealing signals notes this week is uh, his routes per drop back were up to 88%. They were very low in week one, right around 50%. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. He was held in to block a lot in week one. That was very game plan specific, it turns out. And we kind of know that that happens sometimes with him. In week two, he ran routes on 88% of dropbacks. Not great that he didn't get a lot of targets, but he's always had a really strong targets per route run. There's almost like that. that's the, the, the noisy part, as I would put it in stealing signals, is the fact that he didn't draw a lot of targets with that many routes. And the fact that he didn't continue to just run 50% of the routes is, is actually a signal. It's, it's a great it's a great spot for, for Kittle going forward if he's going to continue to run that much and Ayuk is going to continue to be w- whatever weird purgatory he's in. So Kittle's going to, I think, start to provide that advantage as well. But Kelsey, Waller, Hawkinson, Pitts is going to as well. I mean, his role looks great. And, and if you look at his first two games combined, the he was more efficient in week two. The target volume's there. The routes are there over the first two games. The production is, is good enough right there for, for what we you know would expect probably from a rookie tight end. He has not had in either game a dud. He, you know, he only got six targets this past week. He got eight targets in week one, but was more inefficient. But 14 targets over two games is a great sign for a rookie tight end through two for, you know, through the, through those first two games, especially because from a team level, not everything went perfect for Atlanta. They, they did look better in week two, but uh, struggled in the fourth quarter of that week two game through a couple pick sixes, didn't get as much play volume. They're going to have weeks where they, they run more plays and, and things ex- open up for them. So anyway, the, the whole point was if, if these top tight ends stay healthy, they're, and I think Mark Andrews you can throw in as well, who I was not on, but the routes have looked fantastic. They've, they've ticked up for him. Those guys, as long as they stay healthy, they're going to provide a p- positional advantage Almost, almost without question, which was sort of the point, because the rest of the tight end position sort of sucks, right? And that's that's what you're you're talking about here. And I pulled up that draft you reference that we did with Pat and Pete and the ship ship chasing guys. Hawkinson did go in the third. Fant went in the seventh. I, I'm pretty sure he was a target for us. We ended up going with Waddle, and I know we weren't like locked into Waddle there. And then later, I, I think we were talking about Gerald Everett as well, who has looked pretty nice. We took Devin Singletary in the 11th, and on the way back in the 12th, he went a couple picks before us. Jalen Rager is who we we took. I, I think that was more of like a settled-on pick where we were maybe going to take Everett there, if I'm not mistaken. Komet and Everett both went between our 11th and 12th picks. Point being, we had some other tar- tight end targets throughout the draft as well. 
that didn't hit and some of them have looked pretty solid too so yeah that that is the the unfortunate part of that roster and you see where tight end becomes a huge issue if you're not able to to address it on on, on draft day especially in a tight end premium league but yeah those elite tight ends you, you you nailed it like the the rest of the tight ends are so bad and that's what creates this massive gap that makes those elite tight ends worth those picks it definitely does and and ben we had talked on Sunday night to, to kind of shift in a little bit of a different direction about some of the disappointing offenses. We also had a show kind of leading into the season about you know, what should we take from the preseason. And we had this preseason game where Jameis Winston is able to hit Marquez Callaway on a couple of deep shots. He won the starting job. He was able to create a ton of fantasy value for people in tampa bay before he was uh, not brought back because he threw so many interceptions we're seeing that he's throwing fewer of those although he did have a quintessential uh Jameis type of throw in this game but it felt like okay well this is going to be back they're going to have to use camara they don't have michael thomas the routes will be there the explosiveness from the offense will be there week one was fine they put the beat down on the packers but then week two in many ways looks a lot like that stretch last season when Drew Brees was out, right? Alvin Kamara has 15.1 expected points. A lot of that, though, comes from a goal line carry. He gets stuffed on that. He ends up with minus eight expected points. You look at some of his peripherals from the week, and he has the five attempts. I mean, he has the eight attempts. He has the five yards. His yards before contact are negative five, which gives you a little bit of a sense of what he's looking at based on now the overall structure of this offense and so you look at Kamara, his fantasy points over expectation for his career are 4.1 and so even as compared to other superstars Kamara is the most efficient running back in the game he has had three other performances like this in the past and so it's not like having this one performance here means that now he's going to be this inefficient going forward but the overall offense didn't look that great. There were a handful of just sort of game-specific red flags where they just didn't seem to know exactly what they wanted to do, right? When you're talking about Kamara only getting 14 opportunities, this isn't a situation where you know he needed to rest. They had, you know, in the third quarter, down 17 to zero. They have a third and five handoff to Tony Jones. That's not the kind of play that is going to allow them to come back. They come back on the next drive. They give a first and 10 handoff to Jones. They go three and out. They had some bizarre play calling here that also fits within the overall context of, of being a little bit concerned about Kamara now going forward. Yeah, that's a really good point. We also had in our notes uh, for Sunday night for someone else that we had thought about talking about and didn't get to was just a follow-up on DJ Moore. I, I don't believe we talked about him. And I yeah, I just want to talk about him. <laughs> Just bananas without talking about dj Moore, right i just like always need to talk about dj Moore. yeah just dominated targets or, or maybe you did reference this that he dominated targets in the first half he got the i was really excited about the um the quick slant inside the five for the td i mean everyone yeah everyone talks about how he hasn't scored a lot of tds i that is a huge part of his pro of his profile of, of him taking the next step is he's only scored if i'm not mistaken 10 touchdowns in three seasons for each of the last two years, two back as a rookie, we got to get him up to six, seven, eight TDs at least, right? To, to really have a big ceiling. So that was very uh, promising for me. 
I, and then just the fact that he continues to see the short area work, and we know he's so explosive with the ball in his hands. The big plays are going to come. I mean, one of his biggest plays last year, even when he was in a very deep threat role, this is something that was so maddening to me writing Stealing Signals, but I believe it was against the Saints in the Superdome. He ran a quick out, turned it up the sideline, had like a 60-yard touchdown. And it was like, yeah, do that more. Throw more quick outs to DJ Moore. Look what he does when the ball's in his hands. I don't think he's going to have those types of plays constantly. But, like, I think back to, like, early career Odell Beckham, and we were like, yeah, he can't keep doing all this. But then he kept, you know, he, he can keep doing all this. You know, he's running these slants and housing them. DJ Moore has that type of ball in hand ability. And I don't think it's going to be surprising if we see a couple 50 plus yard yak plays from him this year. And so that's going to help the touchdowns as well. If, if he's continuing to get a lot of these touches and allowing him to just create, create play. One of the things that I I've loved is just seeing some of his tight window catches so far, the way that he still gets five more yards. You know, he caught a really good slant in week two, made it look so easy with a guy draped on him. Good throw on time but he catches a ball where he's kind of getting hit, uh, makes a nice catch, and then also sort of pulls the guy off and, and gains five more yards as he just like fights through the tackle and turns a seven-yard slant into a 12-yard catch. Like that's It's a little thing, but like DJ Moore's very tough to tackle, and, and he's also good as a space player in terms of you know making guys miss. He's very fast. All, all the things you want from a you know, guy with the ball in his hands, a receiver with the ball in his hands, and so... I'm excited to see those explosive plays. He's going he's gonna to go absolutely off. I mean, I'm really, really excited about him. And we kind of had created this contrast between Darnold and Bridgewater and talking about how Bridgewater is making these guys in the Broncos passing attack look good, a little bit like he did last season. And not look good from the perspective of reality, but targeting multiple players, even though in week two was a massive game to Cortland Sutton. One of the things that I really like to see through the first two weeks here, and in part because we just have so much more and, and not a ton of exposure to the other guys, is that it has been more. And Darnold, in terms of trying to make this transition to the Panthers and to resurrect his career, I mean, he knows where his bread is buttered here, which is great to see. I mean, he's targeting their star. We haven't lost a ton of targets to the other two guys, you know, Robbie Anderson not having a great season outside of the long touchdown, the rookie coming along, but hasn't been someone to take a ton of targets early. You look at what DJ Moore is doing, and I think that we're right on the verge of a monster season from him. Right. And, and to your point, it's not just that Donald sees it. It's also the this is why I keep emphasizing the routes and the usage. It's that the coaching staff obviously saw it. Right over the offseason, they redesigned their offense a little bit. They're using guys in slightly different roles, specifically DJ Moore. They're putting him in different positions. And so, you know, do we think this was two weeks of target variance? And that's something I led uh, my part two of Stealing Signals in the introduction this week with uh, was a big conversation about target variance in small samples, looking at things like target share over just two games and, and targets per outrun, and especially looking at them at one game samples. And how we have to be reactive, but we also have to be sort of aware of our priors and have this, you know, buzzword Bayesian thought process. Um, I, I referenced Tyreek Hill only having 17 air yards in week two. And that obviously is not something that we're going to change our priors a lot because our priors on Tyreek Hill are very strong. He's going to have a big downfield role. I talked about the Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, you know, balance there. And I, I talked a little bit about Michael Pittman's big week two versus his lackluster week one and a rookie season where he didn't earn targets at a big rate and that I'm open to Michael Pittman maybe being good this year, but I'm not adjusting too much because there's not a lot 
prior. I mean, I had weak priors on, on Michael Pittman, I should say, but there wasn't a lot in those weak priors that suggested that he's going to be a 12 target a, a game type of guy. So anyway, I was talking about that whole concept. Why am I applying it differently to DJ Moore? It's because the usage is so indicative of something. This is one where I do want to be reactive, right? It's indicative of both the team and the and Darnold, to your point, both recognizing that he's the talent, right? He is the player alongside Christian McCaffrey that the offense should run, should flow through. And that's, he, he's not going to get as much, you know, as clear of a wide receiver one share every single week because there is a lot of target variance week to week. But I think by the end of the season, we, we've already seen enough to know that by the end of the season, he's going to be either the target, certainly the target leader among wide receivers and tight ends, right? He'll be right there with McCaffrey. And McCaffrey, phenomenal through a couple of weeks as well if darnell can continue to go to those two guys this panthers offense is going to be very good then we have a couple of other of players who may be on the verge of a breakout but injuries could get a little bit in the way we'll break those guys down right after the break nfl football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find nfl tickets anymore because tech pick that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz today and use the promo code RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets, use the code RotoViz. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a RotoViz NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools everything you need to help you for that in-season success as a loyal podcast listener you can get yourself a 10 percent discount to a road of his nfl pass just by adding the code rv radio 2021 at checkout or go to rotavis.com forward slash podcast for more information let's go get those championships i hope you enjoy the podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But I know one of the big disappointments of week two, both in terms of, of some of the the player props and in terms of how it came through for our specific rosters where Henderson going out in the second half uh, ended up, you know, we lose the game by just a couple of points there. But more importantly, from a big picture perspective, uh, this is a guy we were excited to see what he could do in this upgraded Rams offense. He gets this opportunity, Cam Akers obviously being out and the concern always with him is, can he stay healthy, right? I don't think anybody questions his talent, at least to the extent that he can be a starter. Whether or not he can be a star is, is maybe a different discussion. But he has the second half rib cartilage injury. Pretty frustrating for him as a reality player. Frustrating for fantasy managers who are using him. Sean McVay has said that Sonny Michelle will probably have a big role in week three even if Henderson is more or less healthy because they want to give him a chance to get all the way back. One of the things that jumps out to me with Henderson is he's doing the things that I wanted him to do in that he has a huge percentage of his yards before contact. And people sometimes look at that and say, oh, well, you know, that's the, the offensive line's responsibility. But we know that guys who are fast, who can get to the hole, who can get through the hole, are going to generate a lot more of those types of yards. When you look at Henderson's profile, it's crucial that he be one of the leaders in yards before contact 45 in week one 30 in week two he's got a missed tackle created on both of those weeks and those will allow you to create the big play as you get through the gap henderson somebody that it just it always seems so close now we don't know how the injuries are going to affect this going forward but we also drafted Michelle, both of these guys on the zero RB watch list at different points based on where their price was, uh, you know, in that week because their prices moved around a lot in the last month or the last really couple of weeks of draft season. Michelle, somebody here who could have some short-term value in this explosive offense. I mean, obviously Cooper Cup is the is the big name here with the Rams, but we do have an interesting zero RB discussion around the backs with Los Angeles. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things from from a sort of a usage standpoint, and, and obviously I'm looking at a lot of those types of numbers in stealing signals, one of the things I wanted to see from Henderson was that he would play on passing downs. And he basically was a 100% guy th- from week one and all through week two until that rib injury. And then all of Sony Michelle's carries, he got 10 of them, came after Henderson exited the game. He did not have a carry prior. Uh, I don't believe he caught a pass. I don't think he had a touch prior. And so that is very bullish for for Henderson sort of long-term, that, that he was starting to play on these these passing downs and all those things. The tricky thing is that's, that's something McVay's done with a lot of backs. He didn't do it with Henderson early last year when Akers was sort of out of the mix. He was having Malcolm Brown play on passing downs. Then late last year, he did do it with Akers, where Akers was playing both as the early runner and the passing downs back. For me with Michelle, I mean, I think absolutely he's a play if Henderson's out. He got all 10 carries. He looked pretty good. You know, you talked about the ways that this offense is going to be designed to create yards before, you know, before contact or, or blocked, blocked. Or, I'm sorry, I don't know which exact message, metric you use there, blocked yards or, or yards before contact, but 
Uh, I think a big part of that is because they used the pass to set up the run. That, that was a stat from several years ago, Todd Gurley's big season. He was the only 200 carry back that had more than 50% of his rushes against light boxes in his first massive season, and he was at like 74%. Uh, that was one that I was like, man, like the reason he was so efficient as a runner is out of all the high-volume backs, he was 25 percentage points higher than any of the other ones in terms of getting to run against light boxes. That was Sean McVay with the, the 11 personnel, with the pass-heavy offense when they took the league by storm that year, set it using the pass to set up the run. You know, defenses have adjusted to all of these things, and, and things are different in the NFL in 2021 than they were that season. But that is a huge part of this offense. And Sonny Michelle comes in, he gets 10 carries, 46 yards. We see the efficiency on the ground. The key for me with him goes back to whether he will be treated as an every down back, like McVeigh was doing with Henderson, like he did with Akers last year, but didn't do with Henderson last year, or whether Jake Funk might play on the passing downs. And he has kind of an interesting passing down profile. Maybe he's the Malcolm Brown to Daryl Henderson's or excuse me, to Sony Michelle's Daryl Henderson from last year in that split early in the season in a couple of games. So that will be the really key point, whether Michelle is sort of a low value touch, but still good play who has touchdown equity or a potential absolute smash, right? It is. Do you have thoughts on this passing offense after a couple of weeks? Obviously Cooper Cup, I mean, he's blowing the league away and yet, Robert Woods, not a disaster, but not putting up huge numbers. Do you expect that split to continue? I mean, these guys are going to get a little bit close to, closer together, aren't they? Yeah, that was something I, I referenced in, in stealing signals. Back in week one, Woods only ran routes on 67% of the snaps. Now, that was a that was a huge signal from week one for me. Cooper Cup ran routes on 100% of the routes. And anyone who's you know read the article in the past or, or paid close attention to this split knows that Woods used to be the, the 100% of routes guy always. Cup was the guy who could have these weird games where he might only run routes like 50% of the time. And we talked chalked it up to him being a slot guy or whatever, but it was just maybe they were using different two tight end packages. I, it was always kind of hard to, to pin down because even as a slot guy, he'd have games where he was over 95% of the routes. He's clearly one of their top two receivers the last several years, but he'd have these weird low route games. Cup then ran 100% of the routes again here in week two, but Woods was back up from the 67% in week one to 97%. So he was right there with Cup. It, it does still seem like there has been a flip in the sense that Cup is the guy that's going to be on the field constantly now. And Woods is the guy that, you know, even just that difference between 100% and 97% in week two, that, that difference used to go the other way. It was Robert Woods 100%. It was Cup 97%. And so now we've seen two weeks in a row. Cup's been 100%. Woods has not been 100%. But if Woods is going to be at 97%, that was the low-key signal from week two where this is going to probably come back closer together. I, I, basically, the way I framed it was it was very, very positive to see Cup in this role. We have to still be very po optimistic about that. Part of the reason I said Cup needed to go before Woods in every draft this offseason was his routes were always a little bit lower, but his targets per route run was better than Woods, which indicated more upside he seems to actually be the better player, but just wasn't always running as many routes. And so if one of them was going to separate, it was going to be cup was the way that I would frame it a lot. Uh, and I, I believe you're basically making the same point. We now see that cup is in that role and he probably is the better player at the same time. If Woods is right there with him, 97% of the routes woods is good too. It's not going to be as big of a, a, a gap, like you said, as it has been in the first two weeks. And I, I do think that's, you know, probably makes Woods maybe a buy low if people are, are, are freaking out. He's not somebody that I'm really necessarily targeting, but you see the 11 to 9 target differential this week. 
that's probably pretty close to sort of what we will see going forward as an expectation. It's helpful that Van Jefferson's the third guy running 100% of routes in the sense that uh, I don't think Van Jefferson's very good, frankly. He's only earned three targets both the first two weeks. He did have the big play and scored the long touchdown. He's getting air yards. That's all great. He's not going to earn targets at a high rate. So that's going to consolidate targets back to Cup and Wood, Cup and Woods who, who do get open and earn targets at a high rate. We know that targets per out run is a very predictive metric. You know, you can be optimistic again about Jefferson and, and, and mildly optimistic if you want to be. I'm not because he only got three targets both weeks. You're basically just looking at one explosive play. But with Cup and Woods, the key is the targets will probably be close. They'll probably be pretty concentrated. Cup having the massive efficiency so far, catching nine of 11 targets this week, 163 yards, two touchdowns. You can't bank on that every week. You also can't bank on Woods only catching five of nine targets for 64 yards. He's going to probably be a little bit more efficient than that. We have a long enough sample on him to expect that. So the efficient, the, the targets are, are more the signal here. The routes are more the signal. They're closer together. The efficiency has been awesome for Cup. He's very, very good. You got to be very happy, but I do agree completely. They're going to come closer together. And then again, this just shift gears a little bit, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about someone who we discussed a little bit after our Sunday night show the other night. And that is this, what appears to be falling back into a committee in Washington between Antonio Gibson and JD McKissick. Now Gibson with McKissick still being involved in the preseason with Jarrett Patterson looking so good in the preseason. He was someone who started to fall back again from the one, two turn to the middle of the second round. And we were still kind of off of him there because the running backs just need to have more receiving EP in order to be drafted in that range. But there are some things that go in both directions with this backfield, right? We have 61% snaps for Gibson, 44% for McKissick. Uh, Gibson ends up losing 10 opportunities, six targets, 31 snaps here. And because those receiving touches are so much more valuable, McKissick actually had four EP more than Gibson in week two. And if you drafted Gibson, then you know that feels like a nightmare to you. Then you add in this two-minute drill rushing TD where he was in because of the two-minute drill, and you have the 56-yard reception where he actually took one of those targets and made a huge play out of it. You end up having McKissick outperform by seven points. So he ends up with an 11-point edge in this game. Now, there are good things and bad things about this in that for Gibson, the dream is that he becomes sort of an Alvin Kamara becomes a little bit more like what we saw from Aaron Jones on Monday night, where he can use his elite athleticism. And, and Gibson looks fantastic running the ball, right? I mean, there are only three, four, maybe five guys in the entire NFL who've actually looked better carrying it through a couple of weeks. But even though he's not going to be that guy or doesn't look like he's going to be that guy this year, McKissick actually dropped in some of our leagues. It's kind of an interesting challenge of, you know, what do you bid for him when you know that his role is mostly in this two-minute kind of package? But there were some stealth elements to Gibson's play over the first couple of weeks that actually are important. He has seven targets. He's got 40 touches. So that's not a bad profile. And if he's getting receiving work on first and second down, that does represent a step forward. Right. I mean, he was getting that last year as well. McKissick has had the the two-minute drill and, and those types of, you know, sort of segmented pass down work. But McKissick was also catching a lot of balls on early downs. And I think um, in a conversation I had this week with PFF's Dwayne McFarland, I, I believe we got to the, the, the fact that McKissick had 39 
of his catches on early downs, non-two-minute drill. Basically, those, those downs where Gibson is catching all of his balls, 39 of his 80 last year. Gibson has taken a lot of those routes so far this year. Gibson's uh, route rate has not you know, gone up to the elite numbers that we see from some of these true three-down backs that are running routes in, in basically every passing situation. They're running routes on 60%, 70%, sometimes even more of the dropbacks. But Gibson's been at 50% and 44% in each of the first two weeks. That's a number he didn't consistent. Those are numbers he didn't consistently hit last year. And he still caught, you know, 36 balls or whatever. And there's some more team level concerns, which I think are, are actually the bigger, the bigger discussion, meaning like Alex Smith was a big reason. Both of these guys got so much, so many of their receptions last year. What are we seeing from, from Taylor Heineke? What, what did we see from Fitzpatrick who, who will, you know, be back late in the year? Fitzpatrick's a guy who does throw to the backs a lot. I'm a little bit less optimistic about Heineke because he has some scrambling ability, but he did throw to the backs a lot in two-minute drill here to McKissick. But that that stuff's all very, very small sample where they they ran almost the exact same number of routes here because McKissick is taking more on the early downs, and that's a bigger part of the running back receiving pie than people think is sort of the way that I've been trying to articulate it in Stealing Signals the two minute drill and that's sort of stuff. Those are, we, we all know, we see the dump offs. We all know that there's a lot of running back receiving in those spots. It, it's, those are probably more lucrative routes. They're probably more likely to have a defense playing a little bit more prevented and giving the underneath stuff at the same time, to your point, Gibson has just as many targets as McKissick through two weeks. And we've seen sort of all the different types of game situations in week two, they played a lot in the two minute drill before halftime. And they played a, very frantically in the final five minutes in the fourth quarter, which was sort of the same stuff where McKissick was getting a lot of work. That's where he had his long receiving play was just inside five minutes of the fourth quarter. Gibson, again, gained routes both games over what his typical role was last year. And that's not nothing. It's not massive, but for a second year back for the team to be telling us, look, we're not going to rotate him out on these early downs as much as we did last year. That's a positive sign. And it's a positive sign for me when you talk about like things like contingency value. If McKissick were to miss some games, right? I think now this is just a small probability outcome, but because of that sign that they're willing to give Gibson more of the rush and receiving work on early downs, it's now more likely that if McKissick were to miss time, Gibson would expand into the full role. Maybe everyone was always expecting that. Whatever that percentage was you had, I think based on what we've seen in the first two weeks, that percentage possibility in this scenario where McKissick misses time needs to have gone up where, you know, maybe there was an outcome where Jarrett Patterson or somebody else started playing those McKissick snaps. So yeah, I, I've taken some small positive signs from what we've seen from Gibson. His, his routes have risen. His usage is a little bit better this year. Some of the other stuff like the rushing TD and the two minute drill from McKissick and the, the really explosive receiving game. We know that receiving backs can spike receptions that's why we like him in best ball. What McKissick did in week two to me was just evident of that. It's not evident of what, you know, the, the breakdown is going to be every single week. I think it's going to look a lot like last year, but just a little bit better for Gibson on the receiving side. And a little bit better would put him into a range where he could pay off that, that second round draft price. You mentioned concerns sort of structurally with the quarterback and whether or not he will attack. We saw that on the other side of the field too with Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, one of the highest uh, air yards per attempt passers through a couple of weeks that's not going to play into the passing game for Saquon Barkley as well as we possibly hope one of the things we have to be encouraged by is that Daniel Jones played better than 
I think will be expected. And so if the Giants score more points, if the Washington football team scores more points, then this will, over the course of the season, uh, be a positive for both Barkley and for Gibson. I think things are going to look up for both of these backs. Ben, that's going to do it for today's episode of Ceiling Bananas. Always so fun to get your thoughts on these players after you spent the last couple of days working on the epic newsletter. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Definitely follow him at Yards per Gretsch. Check out Stealing Signals, the best newsletter in the fantasy industry. If you want more Zero RB watch list, you want to get some insight from Blair. We've got all the great articles coming out on the advanced stats. Be sure to use the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Uh, please leave us a, a rating re- and review. Follow our feed, and you'll get these shows a little bit earlier. And... Good luck Thursday night. Good luck in week three. We will be back with another episode this week, and we look forward to talking to you then. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.